Are you tired of men monopolizing the word mansplaining? We're here to provide relief from the drone of men explaining to women how to be a proper lady and instead figure out what it means to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of hypermasculinity in pop culture. I'm Kay Grossman. And I'm Brittany Meredith. Happy Valentine's Day, Brittany. It is episode two of our um, special Valentine's Love Month. Our Love Month. And I'm I'm kind of sad to be letting these romance movies go. It's such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I've I've really been enjoying it. We'll come back to them, don't worry. I know. Yeah. We have we have plans for May month of fertility. Yes. And what you were gonna watch all the American Five movies and I'm so fucking psyched. <laughs> it's all I can think about. Every time I'm on Netflix and I see it pop up, I'm like, mm, I'm raring to go for you. I'm horny for that one. Like, I'm just so good. I'm so excited. So, uh, the people spoke. We put out a poll on our Mansplaining Facebook page, which if you don't already follow us, come join the group and uh, join the page and uh, join in on the fun. So, we put out a poll on what movie we should watch and Chasing Amy won by a pretty good landslide. Which made me excited um, because... Every guy I've ever fucked has been really into Kevin Smith, so I'm really knowledgeable about this, both intimately and also, like, intellectually. <laughs> What's your Kevin Smith story? Um, oh, man. This one's about Ryan. For our listeners uh, from our last love episode, you heard the very not romantic tale of when uh, we went from lovers from Best Friends, uh, and one of our friend origin stories is actually around... The movie Zack and Mary Make a Porno. Uh, that modern classic. Oh, yes. Um, so this was back our freshman year of Missouri State. And this movie came out actually on Halloween. And being a very big Kevin Smith fan at 18 years old, I convinced a lot of people to go see the midnight premiere of this. Including Ryan. Because Ryan at the time was also a very big Kevin Smith fan. We had a lot in common in terms of movies. And I was like, hey, we're going to go see the midnight premiere of this. Do you want to go? He's like so excited. Now, some background information so you can really envision this situation as sadly as it was. Is Ryan had no friends at this time. He didn't exactly enter college with the soft skills necessary to, I don't know, have a social life. Spent a lot of time on internet forums or leaving for the movie theater and I forget to text Ryan because everyone who was going was in my dorm, but Ryan at the time lived in a different dorm. He lived in the party dorm, which we called Freddy, that he eventually moved out of because his roommate was selling mushrooms out of the refrigerator. And uh, anyway, I forgot to text and we get to the movie theater and it's 12 o'clock. The movie's about to start. And I get a text on my phone. It's Ryan. And he's like, hey, like, when are we leaving for the movie? Isn't it about to start? And my stomach drops to my feet because I forgot to text him. And now through the entire time, someone who I know didn't have many friends you were a disappointment like all the others. I, I was. He was just like in his dorm room in front of a dimly lit computer screen playing whatever the equivalent of Minecraft was at the time. And and not seeing Zach and Mimi make a porno. Yes, yes. Not having this thrilling social um, experience. 
Anyway, Ryan was very hurt and has literally never, has not spent a year without reminding me of this terrible incident. I've uh, heard the story independently at least six times. Yeah, it's 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 really a point of pain for him. Uh, ten years later, it's literally been ten years later and, and still we are like, we're doing a Kevin Smith movie. And Ryan goes, oh, good. Are you going to talk about Zach and Mary make a porno? I'm like, probably we're going to just talk about chasing Amy. Hey, Kay, did you hear about uh, the time that Brittany uh, mm, mm, just abandoned me to go to the movies without me with all of her other friends? Because I guess I wasn't good enough. And I just sat in my dorm alone with no friends. Did you remember that? And I'm like, great. Now I get to feel terrible for three days. Thank you, Ryan. Anyway, that's my Kevin Smith story. Do you have a Kevin Smith story? I don't. Good. I'm glad. Um, I have also dated many a many a fan of Kevin Smith, though. So, uh, quick recap on what this movie is about. 30 second summary, Brittany. Uh, my boy Holden, Ben Affleck, uh, gets a hard on for a lesbian. And... Hijinks ensue. Yeah. And he becomes very self-conscious with his own sexuality. Yeah. That's about it. Uh, so, one thing that... Uh, so this movie ha- probably made me think much harder than a lot of our action films usually do. Much harder than Kevin Smith thought about it. I don't know. We we can debate that a little bit more. Um, I mean, this movie is not like The Machinist or anything. Oh, uh, The Machinist. Do you have a story about The Machinist? Do you have Do you have feelings about The Machinist? I have feelings about The Machinist. The first and only time I've watched The Machinist came um, at... Uh, uh, a one night stand after I was single for my first one night stand actually oh after I'd been single for about a year year and a half actually uh and uh, get back in the game get on get on okay cupid because this was before tinder mm-hmm. you know wanted to get some of that dick mm-hmm. and uh I go on and on with this guy about how my favorite movie is the machinist and how it just it's so exhilarating and how it's such a good movie and I'm so excited to watch it with him I was not thinking of The Machinist, folks. I was thinking of The Mechanic, which is a Jason Statham film. It's uh, exactly what you'd expect out of a Jason Statham film. Uh-huh. And, uh, well, we still fucked. We fucked uh, once Chris and Bale reached about 80 pounds. Hey, Kate. Um, I don't want to action play this in front of everyone because that's gross. But at what point, like, you said, like, 80 pounds. But, like, also, I'm having a hard time envisioning watching The Machinist. In one, and my then dick wanting not, to get it on. Yeah, like at what point were you like, mm, he can he he looks like he's only surviving on like half a can of tuna a day at this point. Like, do you want to just mm-mm. like at what point did you I make? Think that I started move? making out while it was still playing in the background. Yeah, uh, so we we made out to the dulcet tones of Christian Bale and uh, Buzz Saws. Cool. I. Uh, were extremely gamey like you did he call you yeah texted me the next day and said he was so glad to watch my favorite movie with me what did you watch on the second date no we just skipped straight to sex the second date i think he learned well, his lesson. i think <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> he was like really coping with soft dick for a second he's like i don't know if i can do this right now he was like really like doing some inner monologue with his penis as he heard like a light bustle in the background. 
Like, you can do this. I know this is weird. I don't know why she fucking chose this movie, but I think I can do it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, The Machinist. Uh, erotic film number 87. <laughs> well, okay. So, this <laughs> Chasing Amy is not The Machinist. Uh, it is also... Notably prob- fewer buzzsaws. Yeah. And, and probably not a movie I would try to have sex with on a one-night stand, stranger guy. Uh so if that's what you're looking at this podcast for, like, is this a good movie to have, like, start having sex? No. A one night stand to? Yeah, Not really. No, no. Um, but one thing that, like, really got me thinking is we we watch these movies a lot and like a lot of my thoughts go to, like, is the behavior of the main characters um, being... Are the, are, the, are the behaviors of the main characters something that the writer, like, condones? Like, is it something... Like, what are they trying to tell us here with the main character's behavior, right? And I think in this instance, the main character is, in at least in part, if not in full, a self-insert for Kevin Smith. No, for sure. And I, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about unlikable characters later. But one thing that was really interesting to me is I was around a lot of guys that watched a lot of Kevin Smith films, right? And... I see them so much within the movies. Like I think of Banky and some characters from Mallrats. I watched Mallrats the day before because I to I prepare to prepare. Well, uh, Mallrats uh, was the second film, and I've watched Clerks, of course. Um, and Ryan said you you have to watch Mallrats before you watch Chasing Amy, so that way you understand where Kevin Smith was kind of going as a filmmaker. Um, on this film, just because, uh, to give you a little background on uh, some Kevin Smith history here. Um, so Kevin Smith made Clerks, right? Uh, shoestring budget. He like maxed all of his credit cards to make it. And it was, it was a success. He went to Sundance, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, they gave him a bunch of money to do Mallrats uh, because he just impressed everyone so much. Um, but Mallrats sucked. Um, and every, it was like, just not a good success. Um, it, I know you haven't watched it, but it kind of comes off as like a poorly written, like cheesy romantic comedy. Um, I, the, the, the difference is like what I'm about to talk about, which is how he writes in the response essentially from, I hate using this word, but the, the woke side of him to bash what, subconscious society is thinking or whatever i know that's a lot of big words but um and then his his third film right chasing amy chasing amy which was his opportunity to show the world that he the world this is like really (laughs) kevin smith the opportunity to show the world but no for real though like to show people that like i am a good filmmaker i am competent this is not going to be another fucking mall rats like (laughs) promise like just just hold on (laughs) like stay with me right um, and he did that. Chasing Amy was a huge success, right? Like, people liked it. And I think one of the reasons why is because it was so progressive, especially at the time. Uh, one of the reasons I was talking to Ryan, because Ryan, um, really, really liked Chasing Amy. And he goes, as someone growing up in Licking, Missouri. Do you know where that is, guys? Yeah, yeah. Find it on the map. It's very small. The prison population that came in really doubled the size. Um, this was the first time that I had an experience with sexuality that was beyond what I was seeing. Uh, this was 
my first time that I was grappling with things like how do I define virginity? How do I define sex? What is, you know, and I think that that this was that movie for a lot of people. And he was making the audience question a lot of things. He was making the audience question a lot of things that they weren't previously. So kind of the first thing that I want to talk about is how Ben Affleck Holden serves two purposes. Uh, He is one, a self-insert, you're right, of Kevin Smith, right? This movie was largely based off his own experiences, his own anxieties when he started actually dating the main character. uh, Yeah, the actress who plays the main character, Joey Lauren, um, who plays the main character and is, was in reality much more experienced with the world than Kevin Smith was. Absolutely. And I think also Ben Affleck serves to be that traditional value, right? And I actually really, really enjoy the way they present this, right? Kevin Smith grew up Catholic and he grew up in New Jersey, right? And when you grow up in these situations, I am sure... You know, as a Jehovah Witness growing up in Indiana, and I know as a Pentecostal growing up in, you know, Southern Missouri, um, you grow up thinking the world and sexuality and religion and everything is just one type of way. And as you grow up to be an adult, you spend an exhausting amount of time undoing those perceptions. And I think this movie was really a vehicle for Kevin Smith to do that same thing. I also think dogma was a way for him to... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, you know, and and dogma, I think, came right after Chasing Amy. So it was like this way of him being like, hey, guys, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this societal construct? Let's tear it apart. Yeah, let's tear this apart. So um, I think that's what Chasing Amy was, right? It was him trying to deconstruct this idea that he was made to have about sexuality. And it's shown through um, a lot of different ways. So, uh, Alyssa is kind of more of the person that forces them to question yeah. their ideas. You know, she is the lesbian that Holden falls in love with. What I really enjoy is Kevin Smith does a really good job of luring the audience into empathizing with Holden. And the first thing that they do this is... When Ben is discussing virginity, and they're both on the swings, right? And they were talking about what makes someone a virgin. Yeah. And is it a social thing? Is it a moral thing? What is it? Right. And Ben is, like, telling these, like, very traditional views. Well, it's when you're penetrated, you know? And and every time he answers something, Alyssa goes, yeah, but what if this? Yeah, but this. So you're saying it's penetration, bud, right? And it's this first time where, like, essentially every single time he presents this traditional view or this traditional idea, she's pushing back. And she's not yelling at this point, but she is being confrontational about his very traditional views of sexuality. Yeah. And this ends up being kind of one of the bigger plot points in the movie because it's really important for Holden to think that he is the only person that only man she's had sex with. But why is that important? The second time she does get a lot more yelly, which I actually love. Um, so kind of long story short, uh, spoiler alert, Ben falls in love with Alyssa and it's just eating him up and he's just, he's got to let it out. 
right? So they're in the car and it's raining and there's this very cheesy background music um, that's making the scene very emotional. And I think all of this is on purpose because you want to believe Ben Affleck. You want to empathize with Ben Affleck. And so this is kind of a common thing where like you're falling into, oh, this is romantic. This is great. This is wonderful. He's talking about how, you know, he doesn't care if this ruins their friendship. He loves her and he knows that she loves him too and blah, 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 blah. And traditionally, right, this is where they would just kiss and that'd be it, right? This is the, traditionally in a romantic comedy, this is the last scene of the movie. And when this scene happened, it was uh, an hour in. <laughs> we checked. We checked because we're like, wait, 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 what's happening? <laughs> and Alyssa, so, you know, it's essentially luring the audience into this idea that this is romantic. And then immediately Alyssa starts yelling. And he, she goes, you know what I have to say is fuck you. And she gets out of the car and she starts walking. And this is what I mean by when I say that, yes, Ben Affleck is a self-insert. Holden is a self-insert. But also I think that Alyssa is not just yelling at Holden. She's yelling at the audience members that have the same view as Holden, right? So when she's saying, you have no idea what this is, like with you confessing your love, you're just saying you have a crush. For me, you're asking me to reevaluate my entire identity. Like, you have, like, not only that, but I've told you that I don't like guys. Like, the fact that you're even considering that this is an option is troubling right and i really really like that this thing is done over and over again because again i think it serves to these audience members who have the same views as ben affleck as holden right are literally getting yelled at by the character on the screen. They're literally saying, why do you think this? This is troubling. This is why you shouldn't, that is not romantic. This is why this is not okay. This is why this is a monologue that serves only you. Yes, exactly. And then uh, another really great scene is uh, in in the hockey game. So, Kay, I want you to kind of talk about, like, the nickname that she got. So, Banky, Holden's friend, is bound and determined to dig up as much information as he can to basically break up Holden and Alyssa. He thinks she's bad news. And she, and he finds out um, that she had the nickname Finger Cuffs in high school because she did she once went down on two guys at the same time um, from both ends. And so that that nickname just gnaws at him. It gnaws at him that he, she's had these experiences with men and women and gone out and been experienced in the world. And I think one thing that is interesting about this is she was very upfront at the beginning of the movie. The fact that she sleeps with a lot of girls, she fucks a lot of girls. Right. And it only mattered when he found out that she actually had sex with other guys, which also kind of shows that he dismisses He he dismisses lesbian relationships as real relationships. Yeah, or like as real sex, right, too. Um, But what's really great is he's asking her these questions because he, in a hockey game, no less, because he wants to essentially get her to tell him what happened. And she yells it out. The way it's written, you almost, and I think in 1997, not now, but I think in 1997, you would empathize more with Ben's character because... 
it was kind of made out to, well, it's not the fact that she slept with men. It's the fact that she lied and told Ben Holden that he was the only man that she slept with. And she calls him out on that saying, it made you feel important. That's why I said that. You cared about it. I didn't. Yeah. And and I think that's important because, again, it's this example of the audience is falling. It's a trap. All of these scenes are traps where the audience is supposed to come in, supposed to empathize, and then literally get yelled at by one of the main characters. It's not just Ben being yelled at. It is literally the entire audience that agrees with Ben in that moment. That is, it doesn't matter how many men she slept with. It doesn't matter what she's done, right? Like, you have no ownership of her body, of her past. She has no reason to apologize for anything. Her that, sexuality belongs to her and her alone. Yeah. Even though throughout the movie, other people are trying to define it and control it. Absolutely. And and Kevin Smith, you know, said just in a BuzzFeed article that, you know, for 1997, that is a really woke way to view sexuality. And I would agree, right? These conversations were being had very much in 1997. Um, this is more a more acceptable view of sexuality now. But at the time, this was really daring and this was really progressive. Um, so I think these scenes are important um, I, for two ways. You know, first, in like a Kevin Smith way, like this is clearly him re, un- trying to be unbroken, right? He's trying to unbreak these things that he's been led to believe to be true his entire life. And suddenly he is has a roadblock he, he has to figure out what sexuality means to him right definitely was been right like he's grown up saying those things thinking those things hearing people around him say those things much like ben he's like trying to use this movie to unthink these troubling things and work through these things i think another way you see this with this is how this movie uses homophobia um to try to some extremely homophobic remarks in this movie, but they are typically called out. Yeah. So I think this movie is trying to make an effort to call out the troubling behaviors and unlearn them. Yeah, and, you know, you can kind of see, again, the same thing in Dogma, where you have all these, like, religious ideas that are trying to be untaught and trying to be questioned, and this film is a way of, like, a- attacking these um, kind of preconceived ideas and also attacking the audience, And making them question these ideas, too. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. So the second thing we wanted to talk about in this movie is this movie's use of unlikable characters, um, specifically unlikable protagonists. Holden and Banky are not only, I think, self-inserts for Kevin Smith's character, but also they are every teenage boy's dream. They are... They have a moderately successful comic together. They are best friends from high school. They run the convention circuit. They get to do, you know, basically their dream job as comic book artists. And But yet they're not necessarily likable characters. It's really made us do some backflips as we decide whether we enjoyed this movie and if we liked the characters and if we could even empathize with the characters. Yeah, and I think... So when we when we watch these action movies, we're constantly trying to ask ourselves, what do these characters say about masculinity? And I think the difference between the characters we see in action movies and these movies is, I think in action movies, we are rooting for the characters not because of their who they will be 
at the end of the movie. We're rooting for the characters just because we're supposed to like them the way they are. These like really stereotypical masculine traits are supposed to be rooted for. Like that's the reason why we want them to win at the end. But it, it kind of shifts a little bit more within a lot of Kevin Smith films. You know, Mallrats has unlikable characters. Jay and Silent Bob says some really troubling shit. Like all of these characters in some ways are complex and unlikable. And still, and I think this is a testament to how good he is as a writer, we want to root for them. And we don't want to root for them for who they are, but we want to root for the choices that they make in the future and who they will become. We we are wanting them to learn to make better choices, to understand these things better and become better people, which is much more like real life, right, than most movies are, right? Yeah. Um, and I think... That's also why you can definitely tell that the behaviors of these actors aren't aren't being condoned by Kevin Smith, right? Because he wants you, the audience, to be like, you stupid motherfucker. Like, <laughs> why are you... You're still broken. Like, why are you, like, not learning this fast enough? And I think I really like that because we all experience Holden's, right? Like, coming from Sykes to Missouri, God damn is my high school ex-boyfriend not a holden like oh yeah he is (laughs) like as much progression as he makes there's like three back like steps like someone's always coming to me and saying let me tell you about this troubling shit your high school ex-boyfriend did and you're just like like i want to root for you i want you to understand how to just listen to people who aren't like you but you're still making all of these back steps right and i feel like that's every character within chasing amy it's every character that's in a lot of, of Kevin Smith films. This is especially true when you think about the cognitive leaps that Holden makes <laughs> to get to the ending <laughs> to of this To get to movie. the ending of the movie. <laughs> so <laughs> the ending of this movie, um, the way that Holden wants to resolve a couple things. So he wants to resolve Banky's discomfort with Alyssa. And he wants to resolve Alyssa's experiences compared to his own lack thereof. And the way he seeks to do this is he suggests that maybe they should have a threesome. Which? Banky, Holden, and <laughs> Alyssa. With the, uh, with the realization that this will get out whatever latent homophobic or homosexual feelings that Banky has for him. And it will allow um, Holden himself to feel like he's on an even playing field with Alyssa. He's done something, some wild shit too. Which... Man is a bad look. But also, as we like come to know Holden, you can tell he's making some progression. You can tell he's making, like, you know, you can see this even with small things, like when Banky is yelling fag at the table, and he's like, hey, let's just, like, not use homophobic slurs, right? He's making some amount of progress, but that progress isn't quick enough, and that progress still isn't realized as much as it should be. Um... <laughs> And um, there, that's how we get to the ending where he thinks that the, the solution to this problem is not to deal with his own trauma and, I don't know, go see a counselor, but instead uh, propose a threesome with his best friend and his girlfriend. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it sucks. It does suck. But I also think to make media in which the main character always makes the right choice is unrealistic and not interesting yeah that's fair you know so if we're going to base the entire thing being like well he doesn't make a sound choice like yeah and neither does like i don't know the majority of people 
right? And hopefully if we can do this media in such a way, we realize having this thought, which is a rational thought that sometimes people have, we can teach them that it's not rational. We can teach them that that is you're not really learning anything from this experience. So I think the one thing that really sells Kevin Smith also isn't isn't condoning Holden or Banky's behavior is every single time he says something that's troubling, he gets shut down. And I think that's the difference, right? Whenever he says something problematic about Alyssa's sexuality, he gets yelled at. Every single time he says something troubling about virginity, he gets yelled at when he uh presents this idea for a threesome he gets yelled at and i think that's also one of the main differences between us yeah i i'll believe that so we have this movie that's pretty as kevin smith said woke for its time but it's still made by a straight cis white guy what about the portrayal of sexuality and one of the things that i think this movie is lacking on is this very real uh reality in media of bisexual oasia that bisexuals can exist in the media one of the ways you see this in this movie is Alyssa is being forced to choose between men and women and can't do have both both the lesbians in her life and holden kind of forced her to choose when she is talking with her friends and she reveals that oh she's maybe dating a guy one of her friends immediately downs a glass of wine and says another one bites the dust as if sexuality is in a fluid spectrum and you have to be one or the other. And what I really like this is they actually, uh, Alyssa hints at pansexuality. She literally defines what pansexuality is within the movie. You know, she says, you know, I came to my sexuality on my own terms and I'm coming to this on my own terms. She basically says, I don't want gender to define the person that I love, which is literally the definition of pansexuality. It is incredibly progressive at the time uh one thing that i've i didn't i i've talked to you about this and do you feel that in 2019 like the word or the identification of bisexual kind of excludes non-binary and trans people yeah so i think about this a lot um so if i were to as a trans man if i were to date a woman that woman would still be straight right so but also, here's, like, would that also then be erasing part of your identity? Like, I think it, I guess it depends on, because there are some trans people who want to identify as trans, but there are some people that say, no, like, I am a woman or I am a man, however they identify. Well, I'm non-binary. Yeah, so, like, sometimes, it like, I, I mean, it's incredibly individualistic, right? So, like, to make these generalizations of saying, like, this is bad, I, I don't... That's not what I'm trying to get at at all. I think people should just identify with how they feel comfortable identifying. But it's something that as we try to move away from gender being on a binary, even the word bi. (laughs) Is is bisexual a necessary, is it a necessary term or is it a shorthand for pansexual? Should it be a shorthand for pansexual? Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I, because I I, like... If you're using the word bisexual, are you then excluding people who are non non gender conforming, or are you excluding people who are you know trans like X? You know, um, that's a very good question, and I don't know that I necessarily have an answer for that. I I mean, I, I you're not a spokesperson. I'm not a spokesperson for every trans person yeah. <laughs> ever. Yeah, but it was mostly just like I I've been asking people because I don't know. 
and I, I want to know and I want to know what people's feelings are about it. Me personally, I always just identify as queer because I'm a lot more private with that and I don't feel like the boxes. I feel like sometimes when you find a letter in the LGBTQ, <laughs> they then have a lot of preconceptions about what that means. And if I change my mind about those at any time, then there's this perception that, well, you weren't truly that, or you're just confused, or et cetera. Queer is a blanket statement. Yeah, queer is a blanket statement because I don't know how I'll feel for a month from now, or a year from now, or three years from now. Turns out, sexuality is fluid. Exactly. I think that's one thing that Alyssa deals with in this movie, Yeah, right, is coming to the realization that sexuality is fluid yeah she will she loves holden and she truly does and she says she will always love him yet at the end of the movie she's at a comic-con with a her new girlfriend because you can love people based on who they are and not necessarily based on their gender this is a movie about you know gayness from a straight white male and and I don't think these stories should be discounted, but I think it is clear that this movie is a movie about gayness from a straight white male. Yeah. And Cle- I think yeah. um, I think what Kevin Smith does well in this movie probably is in large part due to the fact that he had a collaborator and a, a friend who was a lesbian filmmaker, and she read through the script multiple times. I His think. brother was also gay. Yeah. So I think yeah. he had the exposure to other gay people that made this movie, well, a lot more woke than it could have been. Yeah, and I think what I was missing, though, and I think I was missing this in 2019, not as a 1997 movie, was the minute oppressions and issues that queer people experience. Yeah, and it's portrayed as, it is not portrayed as hard to be a lesbian. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that as we get stories that come from minorities, we're able to see these kind of microaggressions, these like really uncomfortable situations that being a minority in any sense, sexuality, race, otherwise, puts you in. And I think that's why it's super important that we leave space for minorities and for queer people to tell their own stories. Yeah, absolutely. As much as this movie did, I think it's one thing that I'm really excited to start being seeing in media. They're starting to get more space, not enough. But more. But more. I want to end it on this question. Do you think Alyssa falls into the Manic Pixie Dream Girl stereotype? So for those of you who aren't aware, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl stereotype is where a female character serves the purpose of causing the male character solely to grow, to evolve as a character and realize their true dreams or true potentials. And... I would probably argue that, at least in part, yes, she is. You'll notice we haven't talked a lot about Alyssa in this movie, except for the fact she's the love interest. And that's because you don't get anything about Alyssa, really, other than the fact she is a love interest. So I feel like in college, I was super boxed into the Manic Pixie Dream Girls trope. Um, So in college, I was not only tiny and literally had a pixie haircut, um, I also walked with a cane because I had uh, severe, uh, severe arthritis. There were lots of guys that I think wanted me to be their reason for living, their cure, their excitement. They wanted to be performative by the fact they were so... They were such nice guys, guys that, that they, they were, were able yeah. to they were able to overlook the fact that I was disabled. Um, and I felt like I was often very much boxed in by that. 
And I think that, like, also shows, like, the main part of the manic pixie dream girl trope is that because of the man's experience with her, he is somehow different. Yeah, he is somehow a better person for having dated her. And Holden is shown to have been a better person for having dated Alyssa, and Alyssa doesn't really get a similar story arc or growth. Besides the fact that hopefully she's never dating a man again, because she was... (laughs) Men are trash. (laughs) With a woman. Um, so those are our thoughts on this movie so Um, do you okay last I said that was the last question but I am a liar is this movie good I was trying to figure out a way to say it is this movie good um I think it says important things I don't know that I would voluntarily watch it again is there anything because I've been asking this every you know part of this kind of new well I'm at is is there anything I learn about masculinity from this movie. Yeah. I think this movie talks a lot about homoeroticism and about masculinity through friendships. And I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been reading a lot of books about masculinity and the evolution of masculinity and about how men aren't encouraged to have close friendships. So this movie is a really good example of Banky and Holden having a close friendship, but that friendship can't exist without some sort of homophobia or some well some well the homophobia is a result of actual sexual interest yeah right so like it's like the relationship can't exist without sexuality being some part of it because they're men so of course sex has to be part of it yeah is are they can they just be friends could they just be friends yeah um if holden hadn't made it weird and i don't know and i think that's they have a real intimacy at the beginning of the movie that they don't have at the end. And that intimacy is lost and something real and cognitive is lost lost to their friendship. Yeah. Man, I really, I I hated it upon watching first time because it was just wild. But the more and more I read about it and the more and more I talked about it, I think I became to appreciate what it was a lot more. I think from the angle of director slash writer, I think this is an example of Kevin Smith being a good guy trying to do good things. And I think that for what this was in 1997, this was a good thing, right? The fact that it is 2019 and it made me think as hard as it made me think, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think you right. We do this podcast because we're like, oh man, if only media could make us think about sexuality and and gender expectations and and that movie this movie did that yeah it did right yeah um all right well i guess that was the episode hey guys like um our facebook page mansplaining podcast and you can join the group mansplainers um which lets you talk about episodes and join in on some conversations and also see some really cool memes that we find and also mostly we just kind of tell stories uh so i always like hey go to mansplainers and i want to hear your kevin smith stories because i'm sure you have some yeah and um we'd like to thank kenny kenny oo for the use of our theme song add 60 seconds to the bestial test you can find his music on bandcamp at kenny kenny oo.bandcamp.com could you imagine if the name was kenny kenny ho that's my new band name that's a bold choice. <laughs> um, if you have any suggestions for the podcast, email mansplainingpod at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Goodbye, Mansplainers. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>